He's getting ready to tell you some amazing stories, but towards the end of our podcast, former Panther wide receiver Willie Green will have some words about the current Panther state of affairs. Panther fans, if I can, you know, I think we're going through some tough times right now, but I think this organization is going to bounce back. A prominent member of the 95 and 96 Carolina Panthers, wide receiver Willie Green steps in to the podcast. 25 seasons of Panthers football, a celebration of the players, coaches, and other people who have contributed to the organizational success. Now to Mick Mixon. You may have heard those early 95-96 Carolina Panther teams had big personalities, and we have one in here right now from athens Clark Central High School, Ole Miss, class of 1990, Wide receiver Willie Green. Hello, hello, hello. Say something that only the real Willie Green would know to say. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I, there's a lot of stupid things that Willie Green would say. Uh, but but I would say welcome, uh, Carolina Panther, Panther fans, and it's, uh, it's, it's great to be back. Has the year years gone by quickly, Willie, since uh, you were – last in this building oh my god yeah it has you know i before i came up i walked out on the stadium and seen the sign 25 years and it's amazing i cannot believe 25 years has gone by that quickly um but i think the way i look at it is is you know they said um times travel fast when you're having fun so you know um life has been great for me and um but but going back out, walking out there and just savoring the moment, it really made me realize how much I miss it. And that's one of the things that I think that has been a great asset to me in my lifetime is that I didn't let it linger on me. I moved on and was able to do things where a lot of guys really can't let go. And then you can't focus on doing anything else because you still want to, you know, live that dream and so walking out to this morning it just really hit me and realized that god i miss it yeah yeah you're an important part of the history of those those early teams so you come out of of mississippi you get picked up by the panthers in the uh the expansion draft yeah and you you'd already played some what were your thoughts when you came to to carolina to join a brand new team well you know i I tell this a lot of people, the the Panthers gave me a new life, right? Um, you know, I got drafted by Detroit in 1990, um, played there four years and went to Tampa. Um, and, you know, through stupidity on my own, I really didn't realize, first of all, how blessed I was to play the game, right, to be able to play in the NFL. And then being in Detroit – and really not being appreciative of playing the game. And I got selfish and thought that I was bigger than the game. And so Detroit released me, and then I went down to Tampa and didn't really didn't fit in there. And I got cut halfway through the season, right? So typically my career is supposed to have been done. I should have been out of the league done, and, and I wouldn't be sitting here today. So – Sometimes things work out as a blessing, but when I was able to have a second chance, or in that case, a third chance, um, I took a different approach. I took approach of being appreciative 
of being able to play this game at this level. And I took the approach that I didn't know everything like I thought I knew everything. And I started listening more to the coaches, and I tell this story all the time. The best coach that I ever had was Richard Williams in my entire career, high school, college, and because Richard Williams taught me really how to play the game. Everything prior to this was all about me doing this off of my natural God-given talent. But he showed me how to catch a ball, and he showed me why you should catch a ball that way. Nobody taught me that. But he also taught me that Richard knew that how to get to me, right? Um, And I was one of those players, if I wasn't fully focused and I was taking things for granted like I did the five years, I wasn't at my best. Richard knew how to push my button to get me mad. And when I'm mad and I'm out there playing in that, but I'm still – got the right mindset, then I'm playing at my best. So combining teaching me how to catch a ball, and I know that sounds strange to people. You mean to tell me you didn't know how to catch a ball prior to coming to the Panthers? Honestly, no, I did not. I was just going off of pure talent. I didn't understand why I should catch a ball that way. This would be the same Richard Williamson that Steve Smith talked about on this very podcast of being a hard, kind of a hard man, but respect – Steve, yes. Steve said a lot of the same things, Willie. He said Richard Williamson told him, said, son, you're either going to get get it together or you're going to be bagging groceries at a food line. And he told me the same thing, right? <laughs> and you know, Mark Carrier told Richard Williams and I had a love-hate relationship. I loved the guy, and I hated him <clears throat> because <clears throat> if we were at a game or a practice or just sitting around in a locker room, Richard was the same. His mindset was get focused. You're here for a reason. All that other stuff outside of this stadium, forget about. You're here to win. And I'm going to make sure I do whatever I can to make you win. And I'm not going to let you lack ass in practice. You know, you're going to play. You're going to practice the same way I expect you to play. So he would not let you. I don't care where you were. If you were in this locker room, if you were on that field, his whole thing was get your mind right. You're here for a reason. So, so in this era now, we hear this term, players, coach, and all. Would it be right to say Richard Williamson believed that it wasn't his job to make you happy, it was your job to make him happy? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I do see a, a change in that, right? <clears throat> and I do see where guys see that. And, again, I, I say it all the time, Richard Williams, I'm so much appreciative. I wish that I would have had a Richard Williams my first year in the NFL, right? Um. I, I tell people stories all the time. You know, I if I were to drop a ball, which here was very rare, <laughs> right? And, you know, everybody knew on third down I was getting the ball. So the thing is, you got to stop me. And that's the arrogance that Richard Williams installed in me as well. To say, look, they know you're going to get the ball. Prove to them that they can't beat you one-on-one because this is what this game comes down to. is a one-on-one between you and that defensive back. You beat him at all costs. So people knew, but when I dropped the ball, which was very rare, and I walked on that sideline because most of the time it's third down and we didn't convert, that phone, that bat phone wouldn't ring. And everybody, Willie, Richard's on the phone. And I would get on the phone, and here's what Richard would say. 
catch the f-ing ball, and he'll hang up. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Right? That was it. Because he said, that's your job. Yeah. So when we're sitting in meetings and right, and I make a spectacular catch or Mark makes a spectacular catch or Moose make a spectacular catch, you know what Richard Williams say? That's what you paid to do. Well, you don't expect us to give you any accolades. That's what you was paid to do. Yeah. Right? Old school. Old school. And, and I tell you what, it helped. It helped. And, uh, and, and so I'm so much appreciative of that. He respected you guys enough to tell you what he thought you most desperately needed to know as Correct. young receivers, I guess. Correct. Richard was one of those coaches, and this is the biggest problem with a lot of coaches today, um, is they think that there's a one-size-shoe-fit-all, right? And, and in our case, you had different personalities. You had Moosin, who was coming in as a rookie. You had Rocket Ishmael, who was like, wow, everything. You know, it's just he would say or do anything. You had Mark Carrier, who was kind of calm and laid back, and then you had me, right? And he knew that everybody had a button that he needed to push. He could not talk to Mark Carrier would not talk to Mark Carrier the same way he would talk to me. It wasn't the fact that he respected Mark more than I did. He knew what motivated Mark versus what motivated me. And so he didn't use a one-size-shoe-fit-all to say, okay, this is the way I'm going to coach everybody. And that's the mistake a lot of these coaches have today is they don't get to understand and know what buttons they need to push with the players individually. Everything is about how can I do it all in one shot. It's one of the best things about athletics, the relationships, and also the, um, you know, the lessons learned. The great Willie Green, our guest, 6'4", wide receiver from the Carolina Panthers, 95 and 96. You can't believe everything you read online, but several bios of you, Willie, say that you were raised by politically active parents. <laughs> Is that true? And if so, how did it influence you then and now? Well, it, de- it, de- it de- depends on what you define as politically active. My, my mother and my father was considered the mother and father of the community. My mom ran the local rec center. Um, she, she was one of the founders of the first women's clinic. She was very proactive in those types of issues that involved a poor, low-income neighborhood, black and white. She was a Girl Scout leader for 25 years. Uh, she served in the church. So she was one of those people, and my parent, my father was one of those people that if a child got in trouble with the law, my mother and father had the relationship with the judge where the judge, would, if my mom went to court with that, with that kid and the, my mom said, Judge, I got him. I'll take care of him. The judges there trusted my mom that know that she would do it just to keep that kid from being in trouble. If there was any issues among the black and white in the community uh, back in Georgia, in the 60s and 70s and the 80s, my mom would be sort of the mediator between everybody, right? She was the one that figured out a win-win-win. And so that's what I grew up in, in that, that community. So you can call it political activism. You can call it activism. I look at it as my mom being, uh, my parents being someone who wanted the best for the community and was willing to go out and make those sacrifices. Now, as a result of that, the projects that we grew up in in Athens, um, they named a street after my mom. 
right? They tore down the projects and built uh, affordable housing there. Um, so they named the street after um, both my mom and my, myself both got the key to the city of Athens for our community work. So, um, and I did grow up learning, loving politics. I, I've always been interested in politics. And, you know, of course, they in the locker room, I was called the mayor of Shelby. And it's just politics is something that I've always been fascinated with. Are your parents still living, Willie? No, my 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 father and, you know, I, I was named after my father, but I wasn't a junior because he didn't have a middle name. But my father was my best friend growing up. And when you grow up in low-income neighborhoods, um, you know, fathers are somewhat non-existent. Back then it was. Um, it was somewhat still in that existence stage. But my father and I, ne- my father never drove a car. So he was a janitor. We used to literally walk to work. My father never missed any of my games. We used to walk to my practice in my game if we didn't get a ride. And my father was my close friend. And I tell the story, and we were just talking about the University of Georgia, if we got time. My father and I used to, when I was a kid in elementary school, middle school, my father was a big Bulldog fan, and he was a Falcons fan, right? So after on Saturday, we used to go to the game at Georgia and sit up on the railroad tracks because we couldn't afford to go into the game. We used to sit on the railroad tracks. And my father had never been in Stanford Stadium. And so my freshman year, when I was at Ole Miss, we came back down to Athens. And I started in my freshman year. And something told me uh, after that game, I, I could see the proudness on my dad's face, right? My dad was a very quiet man, totally opposite of me, right? <laughs> um, um, and by the way, just go back. My mom and father, I had eight brothers and sisters, and I'm the youngest. I'd never seen my mother and my father fight physically. They, they they had their differences, but my father was one of these. He would after he said I'm finished with it. He was finished with it. Now my mom would still be off in the kitchen arguing, but my dad was like I'm finished with. It. I'm not gonna go down that road. So the when we played Georgia my freshman year at Ole Miss, we came down to Georgia, came down to Athens, my hometown. My dad was at the hotel Friday night, and you can see the proudness on his face because I'm the youngest of uh, of nine, youngest boy. I'm the first one and the only one in my family that went to college, right? So this was an honor for my dad coming back uh, in my freshman year. After the game, something told me to hug my dad and tell him I love him. And I didn't, right? But I could see the proudness on his face. So we get back to Ole Miss. Hold on a second. You did do that or you I did not? You did not I hug did him not. and tell him, even though something not. told you it, to. Something told me to. Okay, go ahead. I did not. And, again, my father was my best friend. And anybody who knows us in Athens, we were, like, inseparable. My father played golf, right? On Saturday, I would go play golf with my dad and ride the golf carts. That's why I love golf. And my goal was always on a golf course so I could play with him. He was my motivation for doing a lot of things. Uh, Seeing him at the Georgia game, not being able to go in the game and saying, I want to be in a position where my dad can sit in the stands. So after the game, we get on the bus. We fly back to Ole Miss. The next morning, and this is before cell phones and all this stuff, the next morning I go to the, my meeting, and I get a call. I get, I get called out of the, the um, meeting. And uh, the trainer said, Willie, your aunt is on the phone. I'm like, you know, my aunt. Because after every game, 
uh, when I was at Ole Miss before that, and I went to a prep school my senior year. After game, I, my dad and I would talk. You know, he, how did you do? He never criticized me. How did you do? So forth and so on. So it was routine for him to call me or I call him after the game and give assessment. If we won, I call. If he, we lost, he called, right? So that was just something. So we get back. I get, a, I get the um, trainer comes to me and says, Willie, uh, your aunt is on the phone. Like, that's hot. You know, my, my aunt calling me. And I got the news that my dad died of a heart attack. The day after I got back from playing George on Saturday, on Sunday, he died. And he died. My mom and my dad was out in the garden. You know, my mom had a garden, and they were out doing stuff in the garden. And my mom, my dad said, I'm going to go get something to drink for us. And he went to get something to drink, and my mom, my sister, and him was out there. And my dad never came back, so my sister went to see him, see where he was, and he had had a heart attack in the kitchen, right? And that was, so my father got to see me play college, my first college game, and he got to sit in Sanford Stadium, right, was, which was a thrill to him. So... Yeah, so that was that's sort of the story I tell people about my relationship with my father and how he inspired me to be where I am today. Are you a parent? I am, yep. What's I, your relationship like with your offspring? Well, um, most of, all of my kids are older now. I have a son who's a coach at, uh, adopted son, um, um, that uh, he's a coach at, um, uh, at Washita Baptist University. Uh, Division two school. His wife is the uh, softball coach there. He's the assistant football coach there. Uh, I have a son who plays arena ball. Um, I have a son who attends. He's uh, uh, at UNC Charlotte. He did play last year. He decided to not to play this year because he's graduating in January. I mean in June, and he's an economics de- degree major, and, that, and right now it's kicking his butt. So he decided to take off. I have a daughter who plays volleyball at Greensboro College, and then I have a 14-year-old who plays uh, middle school ball and uh, bas- basketball, football, and baseball. My sense about it, Willie Green, is that you you hug them and you tell them you love them. I, I, I well, I, I tell them in a way that they know I love them. I let them know, and I, I learned this from Richard William uh, and my dad because even though my dad and I had a good relationship. I knew where that line was, where my dad was, I consider him my friend, but my dad said, no, I'm your father. Mm -hmm. Because, see, sometimes that line get blurred. And so I tell my kids today, yeah, I'm not your friend, right? I'm your dad. I'm not going to tell you anything that's going to lead you in the wrong direction, and I'm not one that you can laugh and joke and play with and talk to your friends like you talk to your friends. That's not me. Interesting. Wow, fascinating stories that uh, that you got that notion or that something told you to hug him and tell him you loved him, and then he passed away. Yeah, the next the next day, right? Yeah. I mean, after yeah. he got back, he had had two heart he had had two heart attacks prior to that, hmm. and I remember the first heart attack he had. I was in high school, and I remember going to the hospital, and he was saying, "It's not my time yet," right? So way I look at it is, I think God kept my dad alive long enough to see the fruit of his loins and what he did and for to see his son play in college. I think that's what he wanted to see. I don't even think he was probably looking past college. 
but to be able to sit in Stanford Stadium, right, and not on them railroad tracks to see it from a distance and be in there and then get to see his son play. I think God, I think my dad probably said to God, okay, now I'm ready, Yeah. right, I'm ready. It's amazing. I heard a preacher one time, Willie, say, if you're a cool parent, you're a fool parent. Yeah, yeah. And uh, a lot of, you know, there's a lot of wisdom in that. Let's wrap up. Let's circle back to the your Panther career for just a bit. You had sure. an amazing NFL career, wound up with a couple Super Bowl rings yeah. with the Denver Broncos. But what is some – I'm not doing my job if I don't get you to reminisce for just a second on some of your favorite memories maybe, stories, personalities, locker room, road <laughs> trips, whatever, with the 95-96 Carolina Panthers. Yeah. I, you know, it's I, – I, I say it all the time. You know, I played on three teams, four teams. But from a standpoint of family and closeness, the Panthers, being with the Panthers, I had more of a sense of family here than anywhere else. Not to knock anywhere else again. When I was in Detroit, I really didn't appreciate it, right? I didn't appreciate it. Here, I started appreciating it and started appreciating the guys in the locker room. You know, I was somewhat of an anti-socialist too. I didn't talk a lot or mingled a lot with people. But when I got here, we had a locker room where you go in, you can laugh and joke and play around. And, I mean, it was a family, right? And we tell the story all the time. We kind of got superstitious, and athletes are superstitious. When we got on that winning streak um, in 96, um, um, a couple of us started going on Friday because it's a short day. Howard Griffith, myself, Mark Carrier – we started going to um, the Hooters right on Indianapolis to, I mean, on, on Independence. Mm. And it and we started winning, so we didn't want to break it. So then by the time the season was over, it was like everybody was going there to eat. It was just a superstition. But it was a way for us to get away from sports and have fun together without having to go out to a club or something like that. It was just more just us sitting at the table laughing and joking, and I think that made a big difference in gaining everybody gaining trust in everybody and understanding everybody's situation and not judging anybody based off of whatever their belief are, religious or you know, political or whatever. It was like, look, we're family. We're going to get in this together. We're going to have our fights. Whatever fights we have, we're going to have them internally, and we're going to win, and it, and it showed that. Last question for you. We'll let you go, Willie Green. Of what in See your how uh, time flies? It does. I know. <laughs> thanks to you. In in of what in your Panther uh, career are you most proud? Wow. Um, I can't pick one thing, but what I can pick is a holistic thing. Again, I always believe that things happen for a reason. I always believe that God puts us in places where He wants us to be. I really believe that God put me in this position where I was cut by the Tampa Bay, realized that, hey, I got a second chance, and then coming to this organization because this organization, I don't honestly, I don't know where I would be if I didn't have a second chance. I don't know if I would be broke or in the streets or in jail, whatever. I don't know. But it allowed me to not only be part of this family, but also to, to meet my wife. And we've been married for 24 years, 23 years now. Um, my wife was who I met when I first got here. 
uh, and we've raised great kids and still live in Shelby, and we, we're living, you know, still living in the same house we lived in 20-something years ago where, you know, you know how it is with athletes and, once, you know, a lot of divorce and a lot of broke, mm-hmm. you know, guys go broke. So I just think that it's a combination of a whole bunch of things that if it wouldn't have happened, you and I wouldn't be sitting here today. And I, I don't look back and say what if, right, because I'd rather take where I am now and be appreciative than to think about what it could have been if I would have done that because it could be a whole lot worse. One of the most amazing things to me about your story is that you are, I think I'm right if I say this, a reformed diva wide receiver. <laughs> and those are rare in this world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I still got some uh, arrogance about myself, but I think that that's needed. Again, I, I have to fight a lot of tough hill battles when you know dealing in politics and dealing in business. But I am a reformer from a standpoint of, and I think a lot of guys, I think, uh, what's the wide receiver now that's no Antonio Brown? I think he's finally hit him and realized how good he had it mm-hmm. when he was there. And now it's gone. And I was fortunate enough to get a second chance, a third chance, to realize and be able to really appreciate playing this game at this level. Appreciate you stopping by. Oh, thank it. you. I appreciate it, Mick. Thanks for inviting me. And, you know, Panther fans, if I can, you know, I think we're going through some tough times right now, but I think this organization is going to bounce back. I think that, that, you know, all NFL teams go through this. So just continue to uh, support the team, you know, even stronger than ever, and things are going to change, you know. Um, so just, just have faith. And maybe keep pounding. Keep pounding, absolutely. Keep pounding, baby. Appreciate it, Will. Thank you. We'll continue our historical perspective of the first quarter century of Panther football next time right here on the podcast.